So as you mentioned, it's very hard for us to have a pet owner that really ever diversity of the animals. Uh, that can be one, they didn't know that they need to do that. Two, uh, it's very hard for you to get an uh, animal that is not used to have the manipulation in the mouth to get used to having that done every day. And it's really a challenge for a lot of owners. And some animals, yeah. like if you try very hard, it's going to be almost impossible for you to do because it's going to be stressful for the animal and also for the owner. So I think nutrition is a very good thing because, again, it's something that is uh, we give to the animal every day. So you're going to already provide a diet. Why not in the desire have something that is going to prevent periodontal disease or help a little bit in the periodontal disease? A whole new era of communication in the pet food industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds in the global pet food industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Chemin Nutrisurance is your pet food and rendering partner every step of the way. ProAmpac is changing the future of sustainable pet food packaging. Learn more at pets.proampac.com. Wilbur Ellis Nutrition. Make one call, find it all. Wilbur Ellis Nutrition, your partner for pet ingredients and services. Trow Nutrition, the science of ingredients, nutrition, and blending. Welcome to the Pet Food Science Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and all that's working in the pet food industry. Tired of one-size-fits-all solutions that don't quite fit? At Wilbur Ellis, we're bringing custom back to the customer. We know that for your pet food and treats to shine on the shelf, you need to start with the best. After all, even the best recipe is only as good as its ingredients. From nutrition to preservation to blending and bottling, make one call to Wilbur Ellis Nutrition to find it all. We don't sell to you, we work with you. A true partnership to meet your needs. Follow Wilbur Ellis Nutrition on LinkedIn to learn how partnering with a purpose could double the power of your team. Hi everyone and welcome to the Pet Food Science Podcast, where we seek to discuss current research and how it may apply to innovation in the pet and nutrition industries. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Pazali, and today I have the distinct pleasure of speaking with Dr. Patricia Masayoba about the talk, topic of oral health in dogs and cats. Uh, welcome, Patricia. Hi, thank you for the invitation, and it's a pleasure to have the opportunity to talk a little bit about oral health and nutrition. No problem. We are glad to, to have you here in this episode. Uh, before we delve into the topic about oral health, uh, could you tell a little bit of your background and uh, how you end up in your current position today? So I'm a veterinary. I went to school at the University of Sao Paulo. I did my undergrad there. And like different from here at vet school, uh, we start very young. We start like 17, 19 years old. So normally people go to vet school because like they like animals in general, but they don't really know what kind of field they want to go after. So when I was an undergrad, I did a lot of internship to try to figure out what kind of animals I would like to work, what kind of field I would like to be, if I want to be a surgeon, what I want to do in my life after school. So uh, during those internships, I have the opportunity to do my first research, uh, where I have the first experience doing research. 
was very open-minded because like it's very different what we do in a daily basis so we learn how to collect data how to analyze data the importance of having records of everything and also uh this specific research was with owners so we have like all we have to have their owner compliance uh we also have to work with like what owners want or don't want to do so it was very nice to have that opportunity so i was very thankful after that, uh, during our last year, normally we have an internship that we do focus on what we want to do after school. So for that internship, I decided to go to uh, the nutrition field so I could like have opportunity to see how this field will look like. Because in my universe at the time, we didn't have a professor that worked directly with clinical nutrition or nutrition for pets. So I went to UNESP Cabal and worked together with Dr. Alus Carciofi. And uh, that university at the time was the only university in Brazil that had like um, a place for us to have clinical nutrition applied and also have like internship for that. Uh, so I stayed half of my internship working in the hospital together with the residents there, uh, learning how to evaluate clients and their pets, uh, what we can do together to promote health in there. Uh, also how to formulate diets uh, um, and all the fun stuff that we don't really learn in school if you don't have someone that is specializing in that. Uh, the other half was working in his laboratory. So he has a lot of uh, research focus directly in ingredients, novel ingredients, and also all the fun stuff that we don't really learn uh, as an undergrad. So I was very open-minded because I learned how to do proximal analysis, help collecting samples, analyzing data. So it was very fun because uh, I have an opportunity to do something that I, I never experienced before. Um, the good thing after I finished my uh, last year, one professor uh, was hiring my university to work specifically with pet nutrition. That was Marcio Brunetto. And then um, I applied for my master to work with, together with him. But because he was new at the university, and again, because my university didn't have any professor beforehand that worked directly with pet nutrition, we didn't have a space for us to have animals to do research there. So for my master, I work again together with Dr. Carcelfi. So I uh, went back to Jabuticaba to do my research there. Uh, uh, and I have my first experience uh, with working with nutrition and oral health. So my master's student was, uh, my master's project was the first project that I focused on oral health and nutrition. So it was very nice to have the opportunity again. Thank you to Dr. Carcelfi and Dr. Brunetto. Um, Dr. Brunetto, again, uh, because he was new at the university, he decided that it would be important for us to have a uh, clinical nutrition service in the hospital. So we started that, uh, that servicing our hospital. And it was very nice because it was like, again, the first time that our hospital at our university had a nutrition service. So a lot of people didn't know what kind of patient would we have if it was only obesity animals <laughs> or if they could send us like animals with disease or what we really do because like, again, it was very new. So it was very interesting to change people's mind and make sure that people understand that nutrition is important not only for sick animals, but all animals that come in the hospital. So if it's a new puppy, an old puppy, animals with uh, disease or not with disease, nutrition is important. So it's part of their life. So it would be nice for them to have some guidance. Uh, during my PhD, I received a scholarship to come as a visiting scholar here at the University of Illinois. And Dr. Godoy was uh, my advisor here. 
and I have a very good opportunity to see how different labs work in different countries, or how research is a little bit different here than there. Uh, also, all the protocols, and even if you're doing proxy analysis, there is a different way to do the same kind of analysis in the lab. So was very open mind because like, you think you know something, but then you go to a different place and you, <laughs> that you don't know anything at all. <laughs> so it was very nice. And I worked with her, my sister at the time, Juliana, and was very thankful for that because I have the opportunity to follow her during her whole master, uh, at least the part of like sample collection, going overnight, trying to get their samples, uh, and also doing some of the proxim knowledge, uh, get hands-on on the lab too. And again, it was the thing that I said, uh, it's very nice to open your mind. Like, even if you think you know something, you always can learn uh, to do something a little bit different. It might be better. So it's always nice to go to a different place and, and try to learn something new. Um, after that, I went back to Brazil, and then I finished my PhD, and then I was invited to come back as a postdoc here uh, under uh, Dr. Suanso. So during my postdoc, I worked with Dr. Suanso, but also uh, Dr. Godoy and uh, Dr. Fahey is always like all the three have uh, one room mm -hmm. next to each other. So uh, that was an amazing opportunity because, again, uh, you were together with people that know so much about it, fat nutrition and you're exposed to something that is like again it's new it's different and you kind of learn a little bit from each of them they are all very different persons they all have very very strong <laughs> knowledge about fat nutrition so it was very nice and then after that i applied for the position that i'm currently in that is the assistant professor here that's awesome. Very impressive background. And I think you said many important things. One of the first ones, uh, when you move to a different lab, you open your mind. You think you know something and then you see, okay, there's a different world. And it's always important to do internships or do degrees in different universities and expose yourself to different labs, different people and learn from them. And as exactly as you say, different, even proximate analysis is yeah. there's a protocol that we may learn small tricks that may help us on the way when you see someone else doing differently. So very nice insights and very impressive background. And you for sure had great mentors in your life were trained by amazing people. So uh, congrats for, your, for being where you are today. Very impressive and very nice. So you mentioned that you work with oral health back in your uh, master's the first time. So to start and a little bit on the topic, do you mind defining to us what is oral health? So that is a very good question. Every time that we think about oral health, we think, oh, just my tea. If my tea is healthy, then this is oral health. But oral health is basically the whole oral cavity. So it's the bones, it's the muscle, it's the guns, it's, it's the tongue, it's everything that is inside the oral cavity. So uh, it's not only periodontal disease, it's everything else. It can be cancer, it can be everything that can possibly affect the oral cavity. Okay. Uh, and on a daily basis, when uh, pet parents are looking at their uh, dog or cat, you know, uh, mouth, or when they realize what they see, usually if they, uh, they notice something that is um, not healthy, maybe, maybe a halitosis or something different, what they usually see at first when oral health is not at this, its best place. So definitely halitosis is the first complaint that we receive in, in the vet. So like in the clinic, normally people come, oh, my dog smells very bad. <laughs> I don't know what I can do. Because it's very hard for an owner to see like the periodontal disease or the mobility of the, the two. So those are kind of hard mm -hmm. for them to 
a light notice. But definitely the breath is something that is very easy because like we are always with the face of our animals together with us. So we are like petting them. So that is something that they notice uh, very fast. And that can be good because can lead us to investigate it farther and try to figure out what is the cause of that. Yeah, no, very good. And when we then consider oral health, so halitosis is one component that one symptom that parents, pet parents are going to see at first. Uh, but we are when you're formulating a diet, is there any objectives that you want to achieve when you think about oral health regarding to maybe uh, plaque formation, calculus? So how those interfere with oral health? So when you formulate that, it's very different when you are having a patient in your clinic. So like if you have a patient in your clinic, you're first thinking why they come to you. If they come just because they have bad breath, that is something kind of easy to figure out and resolve. But if it's uh, a more advanced periodontal disease that the animal right, have mobility and have like, uh, we have to do surgery to solve and remove unhealthy uh, tissues, then we're gonna have to think about like what kind of texture of diets we can feed to this animal. But going back to uh, while we have a health animal, I'm in an industry, I just want to formulate a diet for an animal that to prevent periodontal disease. Then if you're working with prevention, I always think about like how we're gonna prevent accumulation of bacteria because that is the first step because if you don't have the accumulation of the bacteria you don't have place for the bacteria the, this plague to calcificate it and form the calculus so and that doesn't evolve to the farther steps of the periodontal disease so i think cutting in the beginning you don't going to have the problems that the yeah. bad bacteria will cause so like it depend really like what is like again if you're just formulating a diet for everyone that is healthy is one thing and if you Having a patient, it would depend on what degree of periodontal disease this patient has. Okay. So the first step is preventing the accumulation of bacteria on the surface of the teeth, which is, as you mentioned, is the, the, the uh, plaque formation. And then if you have that, you may have the calculus, which would be the mineral deposit on the teeth. Yeah, so it's basically like it's evolution one from the other. And also because the bacteria is there and proliferated, they're going to start to, to de degrade the health tissues. And that is going to create the odor that the owner pursues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we start mentioning about bacteria. So there are some studies that they evaluate the uh, microbiota or, or on the oral cavity. So what is the importance of microbiota or changing it or try to manipulate it? There is any impact on oral health? Oh, yeah, so like as we mentioned, when we think about oral health specifically for periodontal disease, uh, bacteria is, is a component that is very important in creating this environment that is going to create all the damage in the health tissue. So when we think about microbiota, we want to think about not only modulating, but like change the environment to make sure that they don't proliferate it. So the salivary pH is going to affect that. If you have substrate for the microbiota to grow, so like uh, the type of food that I feed my animals is going to help or not having like substrate for them to have nutrients there for them to proliferate. Also, uh, the type of bacteria, because some bacteria are very good in creating anaerobic environment because they can destroy the, the tissue and create the periodontal pockets. And those pockets are anaerobic environment that pathogenic bacteria can proliferate. So like it's a whole, like it's not one microbes, it's like a lot of microbes work together to create an environment that they can survive. And uh, we can change components, like I said, the salivary pH, uh, the nutrient that we feed in our animals, or just basically by like brushing their teeth and removing this plague so we don't have the accumulation of the plague. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And um, as you mentioned, we can change some components of the diet to try to 
uh, select probably some bacteria or to not make some specific bacteria grow that is going to have those detrimental effects. Um, so very important to keep oral health, but if you have, for example, maybe a dog with a very severe periodontal disease, does it have any impact beyond the oral cavity? So what is the importance of uh, telling you know, maybe the pet food industry or pet parents why it's important to keep uh, oral health or good oral health for uh, dogs and cats? So uh, if you think about like the oral health cavity is the first tube uh, contact with the outside world. So like you're putting things from the outside world that can bring in like, again, bacteria, virus, fungus, all those kind of uh, things that can possibly be harmful to the animal. The good thing is normally this tube that we are putting those things are very intact because their animals healthy. But after like, again, if they have a defensive periodontal disease, this tube is going to have some cracks in the middle that the bacteria or fungi or like virus can penetrate and go everywhere because after they go to the bloodstream, they can go everywhere in the body and cause problems. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a lot of studies that uh, have associated uh, higher levels of periodontal disease with heart disease, uh, kidneys and lung disease, but also like there's a recent study with even Alzheimer's. So like uh, we know that bacteria can cause problems not only in one part, but everywhere after they go to the bloodstream of the animal. Yeah, I know that's very important because um, uh, we know that it can cause that, but some people still have that idea that, oh, it's just the, it's just the mouth. It's nothing's going to have beyond yeah. that. But as you said, it has a huge impact on the overall health of the pet and metabolism. So it can really impact uh, different tissues and organs, as you mentioned. Well, I was just mentioned because I think most people don't uh, treat oral health as a problem because, again, it's basically like how we treat our, uh, the oral health for ourselves. So, like, if you come from a background that, like, you don't go to the dentist every year or if you don't brush your teeth very frequently, you think, like, oh, if I don't do that for myself, what is the importance for do that for our pets? And also, I think it's very recently that we are starting to, like, having that, like, oh, you should be, like, doing more for the oral health of pets because, again, prevention is not a very... Uh, focus on the like clinical in general so like normally you go to the vet when you your animal is sick not a lot of people go to the vet to prevent something not a lot of people go like every six months or every year to the doctor too to check if they're healthy so i think it like the same way for humans and veterinary we have to work together to prevent more than just going to the hospital when we need it so like i think that's is something that needs to be changed yeah no great insights and i totally agree and that's a problem, I think, not only with uh, veterinary medicine, but with human medicine. We have the same still idea about going to the doctor to treat, not to prevent, as you mentioned. And that links very nicely with nutrition because pets then eat every day. We eat yeah. every day. So nutrition plays a major role in our prevention of disease and maintaining health of animals. And probably with oral health as well, which is our major topic here. Um, so usually, if you talk with veterinary, they're going to say that uh, nothing is going to replace daily toothbrushing, which is true to kind of uh, maintain our health. But for sure, nutrition can play a role as well. So let's try to delve into how we can manipulate diet or treats to help uh, maintain our health or prevent the accumulation of uh, bacteria and development of calculus. So the first thing that you also mentioned is... Uh, Texture. So how the mechanical action of food or treats, they can play a role uh, in oral health. 
So as you mentioned, it's very hard for us to have a pet owner that really ever diversity of the animals. Uh, that can be one, they didn't know that they need to do that. Two, uh, it's very hard for you to get an uh, animal that is not used to have the manipulation in the mouth to get used to having that done every day. And it's really a challenge for a lot of owners. And some animals, yeah. like even if you try very hard, it's going to be almost impossible for you to do because it's going to be stressful for the animal and also for the owner. So I think nutrition is a very good thing because, again, it's something that is uh, we give to the animal every day. So we are going to already provide a diet. Why not in the diet have something that is going to prevent periodontal disease or help a little bit in the periodontal disease? Again, like you said, it's not going to remove the importance of like daily brushing or going to the vet to have the cleanup in, in a yearly basis or more frequently, depending on the case of the animal. But like it definitely will help. Uh, and the way that this mechanical uh, effect works is the same way the brush. So you want to be removing the layer of bacteria that you have in the teeth. Uh, to do that, you can manipulate the texture of the kibble or the, uh, the treat that you're giving to the animal. Uh, you don't want to be too hard that the animal <laughs> you're going to bite and it's going to break and crumble. Um, but you want to also don't want to be soft at the point that it's going to glue to the teeth of the animal and then it's going to create it like a place for the bacteria to proliferate. So you want something in the middle, so a texture that is not so soft, not so hard, but when they chew, it doesn't crumble. So you also mm -hmm. want a size that, again, if it's a very small kibble, dogs are not going to bite. It's going to swallow without having any contact with the two at all. So you want something that is a little bit larger than a conventional kibble or a treat that is a little bit larger than just a small bite. So that will help to create a space for the, uh, the teeth to go inside and go out, having contact with the kibble and removing the layer of uh, bacteria. And that goes also for shape. So the different shape that we see in our own treats is basically to have more contact with the two of the animal. So if you have a V-shape, for example, uh, when the animal bites, you have two areas of contact instead of like just one point of contact. So that is what uh, people work together with shapes, different shapes, you try to see if different shapes can have more area of contact to like really uh, remove that layer of bacteria. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. And also for the treats, I think we have more room to play with the size and texture as well, maybe with the kibble. So they probably have a maybe a not bigger impact, but they have a more area of contact sometimes they can help a little bit further, right? Yeah, and I think also for owners, like uh, when you think about food, we especially kibble, people associate it eating fast, like the animal like that food. So like, oh, if my animal eats very fast, they really enjoy their food. And that is yeah. not the point from kibbles that is made for periodontal disease because the point is for them to eat very slow so they can bite more times. And like people associate that as a bad, that oh, my cat or my dog is not liking this kibble. So that is why I think a lot of kibble diets in the market that is specific for periodontal disease doesn't get a lot of sales because like the owners say that with a bad thing and like that's something that is like again education and everything so each diet is, has different purposes it's not because they are eating slow that it's going to be bad yeah i know very good point and we see the human animal bond the palatability of the diet or the enjoyment of how uh, the pet, the enjoyment of the pet while it's eating is very important for the owner again it's a way to kind of the thing to provide love is providing food and how they're eating it. I yeah. think we also have to help and educate them that food is not the only way to provide love, maybe enrichment, playing. There are many other ways. So they get a detached a little bit of food and let the food play other important roles other than 
this uh, connection with this human yeah, animal sure. bond. Um, so this mechanical, as you mentioned, action is going to help to kind of remove the calculus or prevent the bacteria to build up that is there. Uh, but probably this is only going to happen with the teeth they're in contact, right, with the kibble. Yes. And that doesn't help with all, all the teeth that is in the dog's or cat's mouth. So what, the, what other uh, dietary strategies can we add maybe a chemical action uh, to kind of bind to specific components in the saliva to help prevent the deposit of minerals in the food, on the teeth, sorry. So one of the things that has been a lot of like, studies published already is the polyphosphate. Uh, that is something that is like not new. <laughs> it's not recent yeah. anymore. It's uh, something that people already have been using the market for so long. And the good part of the polyphosphate is, again, um, in the saliva, we have calcium. Um, and then the polyphosphate really likes to the calcium, so they get attached to the calcium so the calcium is not available to calcificate the plague so like again if we go back to how uh, the calculus form is basically you have the plague uh, and then the calcium in the saliva is going to uh, go to this plague and then it's going to calcificate this plague making it very hard and very difficult to be removed and because it's there and it's not like a smooth uh, place other bacteria can go in and then like proliferating this mm -hmm. place is just like going <laughs> getting worse and worse and worse um, the whole point of using the phosphate is to avoid the change from a plague to a calculus so the calcification of the plague uh, and that is pretty good because it only works again in the place that the animal is eating but all over because after it's like there in the mouth is going to work to get rid of the saliva and again the saliva goes everywhere so it's going to go everywhere and then going to work all in the all oral cavity so it's a very good thing and it has been already proven that it works yeah i know that's great uh, masai and there is any maybe dietary strategy that can we utilize potentially to modify the ph of the saliva to potentially prevent the calcium to precipitate and form those salts and the calculus on the surface of the teeth so I think the best thing that you can do is make sure that your animal is drinking more water because, like, it's the same for everything. So, like, uh, when the animal is drinking more water, the pH is going to change. And also the concentration of calcium that we have in the saliva is going to change due to the water intake. So I think the easy thing that you can possibly do is that because, like, if you think about diet, again, uh, you have to think of something that the animal is going to be chewing for a long period of time to have some effect or something that is going to be there to be used by the bacteria to change and ferment and change the pH but that is not something that you want you don't want anything to be stuck in the teeth of the animal to be doing that you want something that is like uh, it's not going to be accumulated so like the whole point uh, for the oral health in, in animals in general we don't want anything to be accumulating there you want something that is not going to be glued there you want to be removing bacteria so water is the easy thing that you can possibly do in your home. Just make sure that the animal is drinking a lot of water and that it's going to help you prevent the calcification. Yeah, no, great insights. And now that you mentioned water, it reminds me of wet pet food. Uh, is there any difference between feeding dry or wet pet food as the whole source of, let's say, metabolizable energy for the animal uh, on oral health? Is one better than other or not really? So it really will depend. So like when we think about wet food, we think about like the commercial like uh, canned food or the like beets or something that is very like soft. Uh, we don't really think about like homemade diets or like all the other types of wet food that mm -hmm. has more 
in it. Uh, if you think about canned diet compared to dry food or something that is like soft compared to dry food that doesn't have anything hard in the middle, uh, for sure, again, you don't, you're not going to have the mechanic effect that it will have with the kibble. And that is going to really um, make, if you compare one with the other, animals consume for the same period of time after you clean uh, the tea of the animal and then you start feeding those two diets. If you feed the wet food, you're going to have more accumulation play compared to the animals that is uh, receiving the dry food. But again, it's like the soft kind of uh, wet food that we are talking about. Yeah. And pro probably, the as you mentioned before, the specific size of the kibo or uh, engineering yeah. behind what kibo should we feed. So probably those very small kibos, they're not going to have any effect. So probably yeah, not. Yeah, the animal is not chewing, it's not going to have any mechanic effect. <laughs> yep. Um, so we talk a little bit about the phosphates and I read one of our studies that you were investigating an specific immunoglobulin to help with oral health. Do you mind you know, telling us a little bit about it and maybe the results that you, that you found in that study? Yeah, so that was my master's study. Um, again, uh, it's a little bit different because uh, we are talking about uh, antibodies and like it's kind of weird for people to understand. Mm -hmm. But like very simplified, um, what the antibody does, they attack specific proteins. So the way that this antibody is created, you expose like birds or chicken to this specific uh, protein that we want them to attack. And because they are exposed to that, they're going to create antibody against that. And because they are bird, they're going to lay the eggs, they're going to have this antibody in the eggs. Then we dry these eggs and then this powder is used to coat the diet. So in this study, we used two type of diets, one diet that was coated with egg, powder egg, not just conventional powder egg. And the other one was the powder egg from birds that were exposed to the protein that we want, that is the gingipaina. Um, gingipaina, again, is a very specific uh, protein that porphyromona gingivalis produce. And one thing that they do, they break the health tissues, creating the periodontal pockets. So again, they help create the anaerobic environment for the pathogenic bacteria to proliferate. So the other thing that this gingipaina uh, also does, uh, they block the response from the immune uh, immune response from their host. So one, you create an environment for periodont uh, 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 potential pathogenic bacteria to proliferate. And the other thing that you do, you don't have any immune response. So like the bacteria is going to proliferate very happy there because nobody's going to be attacking them. Mm -hmm. So if you block that protein to happen or to do their effect, you're going to prevent, uh, again, the creation of this anaerobic environment. And also you're going to prevent the block of the response from the immune host. So like you're going to help the host attack those bacteria and you're not going to have that anaerobic environment that those bacteria survive. So you're going to block uh, in the beginning step of the periodontal disease. So again, this uh, additive is going to be very helpful in to prevent the periodontal disease, not if you have more evolved periodontal disease. And what it did, it was proof for um, in my study with cats uh, that it really helped prevent the proliferation of bacteria. So we have lower uh, plague index in those animals. Uh, I think they have a, uh, using similar product uh, with dogs and have uh, also affecting reduce the plague, but also calculus formation. So again, when in fact uh, we talk about reduction calculus, we are talking about in comparing to uh, the control diet. So it's a reduction compared to the mm -hmm. control. It's not because like, oh, we remove calculus. No, you avoid the formation of the calculus. Yeah, no, great, very great insight about 
how we evaluate and conduct research. So it's not change over time, only you have to compare to a control to see if, again, it's going to prevent not only do the, that reduction. Yeah. Uh, we see a lot of new additives and supplements in the pet food industry. Um, do you have any insights about maybe potential, people say sometimes botanicals that help with oral health. Uh, is there any specific, you know, uh, characteristic or thing that people should look at when they look at additives, how they should work, mechanism of action, or is there anything popping up in their head that may have a potential for impact of oral health? So I think there is two main things that we tested when you want to prove that something can help in oral health. One is, again, avoid plaque formation. Uh, and the other one is avoid the calcification of the plaque. So um, the two seals that we normally receive is one for a health prevent uh, plaque and help prevent tartar. Uh, but again, you can also look inflammation. Uh, so if it, there is uh, gingivitis or not gingivitis, so you can use the gingivitis index. Uh, we can talk about microbiota again. So if it, the, this additive or this diet shift the microbiota or not. A salivite pH is something very important that we can talk about. Uh, we can talk about like inflammation markers that we can uh, measure in the saliva of this animal. So if it's controlling inflammation or not using inflammation markers, uh, we can talk about images just like if you have a, a mouth and you compare before and after if there is any change in the image of uh, the mouth. So like it's very easy for you to compare before and after uh, in, the, in the same animals or across again a control and not a control uh, in a treatment group. Um, well, it's really going to depend on what you're expecting the additive to be doing. So if it's just a mechanic effect, it's going to be basically focused, again, in the plague and the calculus calcification because it's not going to really target inflammation. It might have a benefit because if you remove the bacteria, you might prevent inflammation. But again, if you start with a clean mouth mm -hmm. model, not necessarily these animals is going to develop inflammation if it never happened for a start. Um, if you are talking about like something that you want, again, if animal have a cancer or something that is already have inflammatory or is already have like tissue damage, then we can think about like those uh, inflammation markers and are specific for the disease that you're trying to target. So it really would depend on what you're expecting the additive to be doing. But I think the easy thing, like, again, if it's just for periodontal disease in general, it's being plaque and calculus is going to be the main thing. Saliva is going to be the second thing. And then if you have any shift of microbiota, it would be nice to see too. <laughs> yeah, I know. Great insights and great plan on uh, how to build and which outcomes should we look when you do specific research. If any pet food companies develop a specific treat or a diet, um, they kind of understand what they should look at when they look for the research of universities and everything. There is also in the market, we see some products that are awarded with the Veterinary Oral Health Council seal of acceptance. So they have that seal. Uh, what does it mean and how can, is it harder to get those is specific studies that pathway companies, they have to do to get that specific seal? Oh, yeah. So, again, it would depend on what is going to be your target. If it's just a mechanic effect, if it has chemical effect, or if it's a combination of both. So there is different protocol for each of those uh, kind of ingredient that you add in or formulation that you're doing. So for mechanic, it's very simple. So you have a control that doesn't have the mechanic effect. So it's going to be just the dry food. Uh, another one that is the dry food plus uh, whatever you're adding that had the mechanic effect. 
and you are comparing across. Uh, they say that normally they ask for 20 animals and then you don't need to like balance or anything. Like they would say like not balance. They would say that it will consider should be normal because of the population that you have. If you have less than that, then you have to kind of try to balance based on like where you start. So like they, you have to start and see if everyone is the same level of periodontal disease. And also like they have specific teeth that they request for the animal to have presence for you to analyze. Again, um, mm-hmm. the seal is just for the plague and for the tartar. So those are the only two seals that they do. They don't do for inflammation because inflammation is considered to be a health-related uh, problem. So it's a different department that gave you that seal. But they ask for everyone to do the gingivitis index to prove that doesn't ca- doesn't cause any harm. Because like if you have uh, increase of, yeah. of inflammation, then you your ingredient or whatever you're testing is causing harm. So it's not going to get approved. So even though they don't give you a seal for inflammation, they request everyone to do that just to prove that the ingredient is safe for use. Uh, if you have, again, uh, the one that have chemical and mechanical, you have to have three groups. So one group is going to be the control, just dry food without chemical or mechanical effect. One group with only the mechanical effect. So you can prove that it's not only the mechanical effect that is doing the effect, and the one with both mechanical and chemical troops. So you can have like, maybe the mechanical chemical is better than just the mechanic and is better than just the control that doesn't have anything. Yeah, I know it's important also for people to understand what the seal mean and how maybe how can they, how can they get it? And those studies are not, uh, are expensive. They're not cheap at all, but it depends no. on the goal of your company or what you're looking for. It may be worth it or not. But we can also do so other studies that are not going to get this you, but you're also going to evaluate some outcomes of oral health. Yeah, for sure. I think it's not like everyone that is willing to do those kind of trials. And again, as you, like, as you said, expenses, time consuming, and also you need to get approval. And sometimes you have to redo your study. And normally they require you to do two studies to prove that you can repeat the same results. It's time for our famous three. Well, thank you very much, Masai, for joining us today. Uh, I think we're almost done with the podcast. But before you leave, I'd like to ask you a final three questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, they, those are not related to oral health, so I'm going to take you out of the oral health spot right now. Um, there are always some questions I like to ask for all the guests that I invite here. The first one is you are a very successful person uh, and you are around successful people as well. So what is a common trait that you have observed in successful people? Oh, that is a very trick question. <laughs> so I think like every time I think about the people that I really admire, um, they are very, they really like what they're doing. So you really need to love what you're doing because otherwise you, you're not going to do correctly or you're not going to spend so much time doing something that you don't love. Uh, the other thing, you have to be able to connect with people and be able to work together because that is one of the most important things that uh, everyone needs to learn. You cannot do anything alone. You need other people. You It's impossible for you to even do a study by yourself because yeah. like, you are not a robot. <laughs> so I think being able to talk to people, uh, work together, communicate very well, and like that is very important. So like, uh, it's always important to have very... Um, good skill and communication, making friends and like know that you need help and that you don't know everything. And there is always someone that can help you. And that is is something very good. And also being very humble. That is like together because like, again, if you're very humble, you know that you don't know everything, that you can ask for help and you need to ask for help. And I think that is 
one of the things that you cannot forget, like you have to ask for help, you need help, you cannot work alone. So I think those are the three things that uh, I've, every successful people that I know have. They very good talking with people. They are very good at asking for help when they need it. And they really love the, what they do. Yeah, I totally agree with love what we do because some people say, oh, if you love what you do, you're never going to work one single day of your life. But it's the opposite. If you love what you do, you're going to work even more. You're going to work even <laughs> so, yeah. more. more so yeah. Don't fall into that. If you're starting a career <laughs> now, you're going to work even more if you find something that yeah. you want. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the second question I was interested in is, uh, you for sure love research and you are in this area. So what do you like the most about being a scientist and being a researcher and being in academia? Um, I think the thing that I love most, like the thing that made me start was like one, trying to do something that we can change um, how we see nutrition and how we see like anything. Like, for example, we have a concept of what is right and what is wrong and what we should or should not do. But when you go to research, you really know that most of the things are not black and white. We have something in the middle. So like, it's not 100% you have to do that. And that is the only way to do things. Uh, you can do something different and you can maybe be in the middle and have a better result. And especially when you work with pets, uh, we always have to think about like, it's not only trying to figure out the best amazing diet, it's figuring out what is the best for the pet and the owner, because it doesn't matter if you have the best product in the market, if the owner is not gonna give to their pets, it's not gonna yeah. work. So I think it's always like uh, interested to be in the middle. So like, uh, that is what I think, uh, uh, something in the middle is not black and white and research is not black and white. It's not always that we're gonna have the best results, not always that the project is gonna work and we always have to adapt and be like flexible to adapt. And that is what I think is good about research in general. You're always changing, you're always learning, you're always evolving. Yeah, and adapting and being flexible and yeah. Uh, the last one, I think, do you have a pet? Do you have a dog or a cat? Oh, I have cats. I am very cat person. <laughs> so I always grew up with cats because we always live in apartments, like in, in São Paulo and Ribeirão Preto, always like in small places. So I think cats are very good to live yeah. in those places, especially because they are very independent. So like I was most of the time or in the university or doing work hours like crazy. So like uh, having a cat is always nice because they are independent, but at the same time, they are very unique and they have their personality. So it's always interesting to see how they behave and the things that they do, the silly things that they do. Yeah, and with many of them have very strong personalities. So yeah. have you ever been able to brush your, uh, your cat's teeth or <laughs> you're never were able to accomplish that? So my cat, is, he's very well, not well trained, but like I, he is very much, motivated by food so like if you want him to do something you can give you a treat so he's gonna do it so he knows how to give you a paw give you a high five and jump the hoop all those kind of things and he walk outside but all because he is very well motivated by food so he let me touch his mouth he really don't like it he moved a lot to doing that but like he'll really let, let me do it so it's something like again i understand how hard it is and <laughs> i understand that some people will never have the time to do that but uh, i don't think it's something that is completely impossible to do if you really uh i don't know try and like have the time or the right personality of pet to do that so my animal is specific how do he's very um motivated by food so if you want them to do something you do 
what you need to do and give you a treat after. <laughs> and I know that it's like, oh, you just brush their teeth and you give the treat. But like, again, it's the whole part is to remove that layer so they does accumulate it. So even if they eat after, it's fine if you want to do that again and remove again in like in a time manager. So like if you do that every day, it doesn't gonna matter if they eat right after it. Yeah, I have a cat too, but very food motivated as well. But no, he doesn't let me. So I always try to do some other dietary strategies to help with that. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us today. I really enjoy our conversation and I hope you join us back for a future podcast. Thank you so much. It was very fun. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at the help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.